he, he's smarter than that. He knows um, he's literally trying to get us not to believe in absolute moral values by using absolute moral values to prove there is none. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it's this bizarre circular reasoning. Welcome to Switching Lenses, a podcast that attempts to break down cultural assumptions and view them from a biblical lens. I'm Josh Phillips, joined here by Shane Skirvin. Shane, doing okay over there, man? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing good, Josh. It's a late one tonight. Yeah. Normally I would like to caffeinate Shane right now, (laughs) give a nice cup of warm joe over there, but... But I know him too well, and if I do that, you're going to be up all night. Yeah, that is absolutely true. You, you have yeah. a terrible night's sleep, so uh, <laughs> as much as I'd want to do that, we're not going to. We're going to try to. We're going to push through this, doing a late night podcast tonight. We're going to make it though. I think. I think. I think. I think what we're talking about today is going to really fire us up and really yeah, keep us yeah. keep us going here. I, th- I think so. so absolutely. Uh, as always, you can always uh, reach us on Twitter at lenses switching for any comments, questions, or access to episodes. Okay, so for tonight, not only say today, but tonight, uh, we're going to do something a little different. It's only, it's only episode three, and uh, we're going to start this. But we thought, we've talked about this, Shane and I, we, we kind of went back and forth, and we thought, man, this might be a good idea to start a little series here just because of something we were talking about. So we're going to start something here. We're going to have a little series. We're not sure how many are going to be in the series yet, but we're just going to kind of take it and see where it goes, and we'll see what episodes come of it. But we definitely have one for sure. And we know there's some other ones too. So we have some other ideas. But uh, we're really excited to do this. And let's just kind of, kind of set this up a little bit. I was listening to an interview with famous atheist Lawrence Krauss. Uh, many know him. I, I know he's a professor at Arizona State. And he's done a lot of talks uh, as a theoretical physicist, I believe. And he was on, um, he was on a podcast and he was talking about the Bible Really, he was talking about, he said he was talking about many religions. He seemed to single out Christianity, it seemed. But in all fairness, he did say many religions. But he brought a couple things up. And this is what kind of prompted the whole series here was he said a few things. And I, I just got kind of fired up. And I told Shane about it. And I know you got fired up. Yeah. And everything. And we're like, you know, let's, 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 let's address this. Like, I feel like this is being misrepresented, what he's saying. So let's talk about it. So we have a couple things that he said in there that we want to address, two, two, two claims, and we're going to address both of them here. Let's go ahead and start with the first one here. And I don't have this like as, as direct quote exactly, but this is pretty much what he was saying. Um, the first claim was this. He said that the Bible is a violent book, especially the passages in the Old Testaments. For instance, the Bible says to stone your children if they disobey. So that was the first claim. Now, he was actually relating this to uh, people saying that the Quran was a horribly violent book, but he said, no, the Old Testament, that's, that's a way more violent book. And this was the first example that he brought up. Um, I think it may have been the only example, but uh, he brought this up. And I thought, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. Let's set the record straight here a little bit. So um, I thought first, Shane, what do you think? Maybe we should just, let's, let's talk about, he, he is referencing a Bible verse. Yeah, yeah. Would you like me to, to read some it? degree? Yeah, go go ahead and read it for us. Okay. Yeah, the scripture that he referenced was Deuteronomy twenty-one, verses uh, eighteen through I think about twenty-one. So right. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and read them. Yeah, go ahead. Um, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take a hold of him and bring him to the elders of the gate of his town, and they shall say to the elders, "This son of ours." is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. 
Then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. Okay, that's... That's yeah. quite the passage. Yeah. And this is one of the things, you know, like we, we get really fired up to talk about. Is there some passages in the Bible that aren't the most palatable, really? They're, they're tough scriptures. They're tough to work through. Yeah. But that's the thing is we, we need to have these conversations. We need to talk about this. We need to dig into this. Yeah, not ignore them, right? But actually yeah. look at them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and a lot of times people hear these and they just kind of read it on the surface. They, they maybe read that from, you know, a Twitter post or a Facebook post or something like that. And, you know, just kind of run with it without looking at it in its context, without actually sometimes not even reading the scripture for what it actually says right there in the verse. So, Shane, where would you like to start with this? Well, you know, what I think is important to look at, and I wasn't always familiar with this, but in the pagan societies surrounding Israel, it was actually... During uh, this time. During this time, right. yeah, that the law is given. Um, it was actually... Uh, people believed that parents had an unqualified right to kill their own children for any or no reason at all. In fact, the law of the 12 tables, a Roman uh, piece of legislation from about 450 BC, actually required a father to kill a son or daughter if they were in any way deformed. That there was their, their community duty to kill the deformed child, as well as at this time period and then all the way till now, um, females are, uh, whether it's infanticide or abortion, females are always killed in a much, much higher rate because people want a uh, male child to carry on their name and then they don't have to pay a dowry. Right, right. And, and you know, the, the benefits of uh, how, how they saw having a uh, one particular gender. But I, one thing that is, which was, was pretty wild to me to see, is this law actually says parents can't just kill their kid for any reason that they actually first off they can't kill their kid at all they have to actually bring a charge have the kid tried and then they could only be executed after they were tried by their town now real quick i'll stop you right there Mm -hmm. okay so in in this law this law is laid out in deuteronomy um if the kid forgot to sweep the sweep one of the rooms (laughs) and the parents got upset about it could they? Did they have a charge to bring against him according to the law? No, no, they couldn't even. It, the The charge had to be a, a very serious charge, right? And so, if if we look closely at the scripture, would you agree, Shane, that this rapture, this isn't so much a single offense? Which, no, which Krauss seemed to. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that's what he seemed. Yeah. To insinuate when he said that was that if you if a kid disobeys, talk you, back you to their parents. Yeah. yeah, and which that can be that can be interpreted a lot of ways, but a lot of people are going to take that as what if they did the slightest thing to upset their parents, they could just take them out right there out behind the back and start hurling rocks at them. But then no, but actually the scripture actually refers to when you say a pattern of disobedience, this is things that have been yeah. this is ongoing dis, not just even just disobedience, really. I mean, no, it this is. this is like a character uh, uh, a character and behavior of a kid that completely rejects um, uh, this, the values of the community he's in. This is a much more serious charge. Right. It's not just yeah. a simple disobedience. And I, I would venture to say this isn't even just like a series of simple like talking back multiple multiple times would you what would you i mean I, I would think no no this 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 is an absolute um rejection of everything that his society w- uh believed in i mean this isn't a kid that could just take off and go live in the societies around him this is a kid that's deliberately staying put in 
in Israel and causing a disruption in the entire community. I mean, it's a very serious uh, charge. Right, right. And the, the version I have, the ESV says, they call him uh, a glutton and a drunkard. Mm-hmm. And so that, 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 that again, I think, shows up. A, a, it's, it's a pattern of disobedience. It's not just mm-hmm. an isolated uh, event or isolated uh, charge. No, and people in, in our society, they are imprisoned if they live um, an uh, addiction-based lifestyle. We see is they cause a disruption in our community, and um, you know I'm, I'm sure a lot of young men in our prisons today uh, have charges of addiction, right? Right. I mean, drug drug charges have to be a huge percentage yeah, in our, in our yeah. prisons, and uh, we literally imprison people for living a lifestyle of addiction and causing massive disruptions, mm-hmm. right? Right. And then and then when that's that's what this is talking about. Right. Is someone living by addiction and appetite and causing a, a, a disruption in their entire community? Right, right. And so, what, what, what's interesting about this? Is that, that's kind of the first point I think is just yeah. let's, let's pointing out what what the actual verse actually says mm-hmm. in that. Now, secondly, I think it'd be important to Shane to point out, you know, what is the application today of some of this? Because that's sort of, you know, that's the claim he's bringing up. This is this is this is old stuff. Um, this was old. He, he Krauss actually even says that uh, religion was fine for back then because it served an evolutionary purpose, in his words. But today we're so uh, you know fill in the blank with it progressive or so so um, we have so much more science available to us that we that we no longer need that. How, how would you respond to that claim? Well, I think it's crazy because apparently Krauss never drives by prisons in our society. If you reject our values. Uh, the punishments go all the way from f- uh, financial fines to imprisonment and even all the way to the death penalty. So we, we have very stiff penalties if you absolutely reject the values of our community and what it takes to live in our community. So it's kind of this idea that you're sneering at ancient people for, uh, for there being penalties. And then in our own society, uh, we do the same thing. You can't reject our values and live among us, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're cheating people, if you're living by addiction, if you're, uh, if you're providing the products for people to live by addiction, if you're killing people, raping people, you will absolutely be put away and possibly killed. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying to set up a society that can function. Yeah, properly. Yeah, right. We're trying to keep a safe society. Yeah, and so what he does, he creates this false narrative where it looks like you're um, killing a kid for talking back or for not wanting to mow the lawn, but that that is not the language used in the scripture is a much more serious uh, allegation, as well as that when he's saying this, he's implying that our society doesn't level punishments that are at the same level, which we absolutely do. We live in the second most populated state in the union. Uh, the death penalty is alive and well uh, in this uh, state. If you do Texas, heinous, that is. Yeah, if you do heinous crimes, uh, you could very well have a punishment that fits the crime. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I have an ex- extended relative, and she's a prison guard, and she's a shooter. Um, in a, in a tower and has to qualify like every six weeks or so on a rifle and be ready for if uh, there's going to be a prison break that she will um, shoot to kill, shoot to stop uh, the prisoners as they get to escape. And she was saying that a prisoner one time challenged her on that, that she wouldn't really pull the trigger because she knows him. And she said, I absolutely yeah. would. And the reason is, is because she said they train you 
that if that prisoner gets out and you he got out because you would not pull the trigger and stop him that every crime that he does it was a it was a male prison every crime that he does it's on you so if any person is is killed or raped um that's on you because you wouldn't pull the trigger to stop him i think naturally we don't like that as a society i don't think i don't like we you know how many people would just say he did it not me Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and because then you're not thinking community, right? Right. Then you're just because this is one of the great weaknesses of our society is we're becoming so individualistic. We we're talked about losing this before, the yes. glue. We're losing the glue that holds the community together. Right, right. It's it is so easy to sit there and I, I mean I'm, I'm not I'm not guilty of letting prisoners out, <laughs> but I'm on a lesser charge. There's sometimes where you're like ah. You know, whether it's your kids or whatever, like, oh, I don't want to discipline them, but, you know, it's like... Yeah, yeah, selfishness... It's easier to do to do nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And selfishness is like a uncurable cancer. It yeah. will absolutely kill the host, which in our case is community. Yeah. And that's something that I think as an Americans that we have to face is we become so individualistic and consumeristic. We have to find again what it takes to live in a community. Yeah. Which, by the way, we're not saying this is a negative. Community and relationship is how we believe we're made, right? Right. This is our highest level of existence. I mean, life should be lived uh, uh, through the community. I mean, there's there's no greater joy than having relationships and building a community. So this isn't a, just a negative context. Yeah. This is running my, my sound drop of the fishing line being reeled in like, whoa, whoa, Shane, come on, <laughs> come on back. I know where you're going with that. I was like, <laughs> so... Uh, well, let's go. Let's cut. Let's go on here. Let's um, read kind of one last kind of response to this claim, and this is always you know one. Shane, you and I have always talked about this, and I know we've brought this up with people before, but it's really interesting how not just Krauss, but really all pretty much all atheists we speak with, mm-hmm. yeah. um, all of them would say. You know, it's they would say that they have a problem with something. There's something, you know, in Christian culture, something, you know, the Bible says and says that that's that is wrong. They're they're essentially saying that's morally wrong. But it's so interesting for them to point that out and say, well, you know, where where do you get your morals? How, how do you how do you define something wrong? You're really you're, we're, we're claiming something to be objectively morally wrong. And yet you're saying, well, no, that's wrong, as if you're referring to some sort of objective morality of some kind. Like, where is it coming from? So when Krauss is saying, this is wrong, this is harmful, he says, uh, he actually even says that that raising your kids on religion is actually child abuse. And <laughs> that just, yeah, that just makes you pause there for a second, like, wait, what did I just hear? And so he's, he's, he's putting his own morality on there. And my question is, Mr. Krauss, where does your morality come from? Now, I think I know what he would say because I've heard him talk before. And I think he would say, as I've heard before, that all morality is rational. And that one right there just, uh, Shane's shaking his head right and rolling his eyes. And I'm the, I'm the same way of like, Shane, what, what is rational? I mean, is, is it rational a relative word? What's rational for you may not be rational for me. So how are you imposing any kind of objective moral law? Yeah, that's shady. It's, not, it's completely relative. Yeah, it's shady as all get out. He he's smarter than that. He knows. Um, he's literally trying to get us not to believe in absolute moral values by using absolute moral values to prove there is none. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it's this bizarre circular reasoning. You can't judge this law by saying 
that there's these values that all people at all times should observe, which which is what he's saying. He's saying that we're judging the Mosaic law and saying it's not like our law when our absolute values come from a Judeo-Christian background. Right. He's literally trying to use Judeo-Christian absolute moral law to critique itself to get you to believe there is no such thing, and which he would then say is better. By what standard is better? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's bizarre. That, that to, to me, is the weakest part of his argument. And, and that's the part he wants to be unseen because he knows that we will judge things and he doesn't want you to realize what you're using to judge them by. Right. Yeah. I mean, I know we could go off on all kinds of tangents on this and say things like, well, if you're, why, why is it wrong to kill a, kill a human being? In, in this case, stone a child. Why, why is there... Well, we say child, though, but... True. Let's say the language of the Bible is referring to a young man. That's true. That's true. That's true. okay. Well, well, I mean, really, I'm saying any any human yeah. being. Yeah. And you know, uh, now we would say it's wrong because and I don't want to. I don't want to go too far on this, but you know, we would say that we're we're made in the image of God. There, there there's that's where our value comes from. That's where the, li- the value of human life comes from. But if there is no God, who cares if I? In, f- in fact, well, yeah, nah, well, 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 hold up. Well, Cross says it's okay to kill a child as long as they're in their mom's womb. True. Right, and as long as you're doing it just for convenience. Well, I don't know that for hundred. I would I would venture to say he would probably say it, but I don't I don't know that for hundred percent fact. I've never actually heard him say. It. Have you? I don't know. I, don't I, know. I I I would I would guarantee. What would what would be the reason he would be opposed abortion? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, just because I haven't heard him quote. I will, I'm, I'm just gonna. I'll be. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna. I'll play that. I, I don't want to misquote somebody if I never heard him say that. So, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Odds are, but yeah, I don't know for sure. But. uh but yeah, but, but but again, yeah, we'll go on a big rabbit trail with that. But the bottom line is, it's, it's interesting to um, to impose a morality when I say where where is the source of that morality? Where where does that really come from? And to say that's rational, just I'm sorry, I, I, who who buys that? Well, and, and and the anthropologists today, not one of them in studying any culture, whether it's a modern culture or it's ancient culture, would ever say take your cultural values and judge that society by them. And he knows that. But yet he's going to do that to prove, try to prove a larger point. Yeah, you know when he he's a man of science, right? And anthropology is a discipline of science, and for for him to knowingly try to bring in religious values into his argument just to try to disprove them, it, to me it's I mean if he has a point uh, that he wants to make, but the way he's making this argument is I think dishonest. I agree, totally agree. Okay, that kind of I think we did. I think we. Address that one pretty well right there. Let's go on to claim two that he said. Um, he said, Jesus talked more about hell than anybody. He's supposed to be loving, but he's sending people to hell for eternity. Who would want to serve that God? And then he references Chris, a quote from his, uh, Christopher Hitchens saying, Christopher Hitchens refers to him as a cosmic Saddam Hussein, except worse, because he tortured them while they were still alive. God tortures people over the course of all eternity. So Shane, uh, where do you want to start with this? Well, what I think is wild is that he is, Christopher Hitchens is using Saddam Hussein as an example of evil. So he's citing this guy that all of us know, this 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 popular figure that is, is and he's using him as an example of evil. So he's using right. this language of absolute moral values. Right. Uh, to condemn this guy, when when you use this language of absolute moral values, you're saying that there is such a thing as right and wrong, and that there's moral accountability. Right. That there's a law and there's accountability for right and wrong. 
So it's kind of wild to me that he's making the argument that God is bad because really what we're talking about is hell being a place of moral accountability, right? right. Punishment for things that you do wrong. Right. But so he's tr- it, it seems like this bizarre circular reasoning again because he, he Christopher Hitchens would say Saddam Hussein's bad, right? That's why he's trying to compare God to him. That's what, that's what he's saying right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah in, and, in the very quote, he's saying yeah. Saddam Hussein is this horrible person. So there should be, so there's such a thing as of absolute moral value. There's a moral law. There's accountability. You should be punished. Right. Uh, everyone knows that there's people that get away with things in their life, right? Right. Like Hitler just, just shot himself right at the end of World War II, right? Never, mm-hmm. never accountable for destroying millions of people's lives. I mean, tens of millions of people's lives. And so uh, this, this, so right off the bat, I, I think it's this crazy circular reasoning, but Really, the the main point of what we're talking about is he's saying hell is immoral, ironically, because it's really long. Right. That, that's obviously the second part. Yeah, he's saying that. Uh, he's saying that. How can a loving God do that to someone? How could they? He put them in this horrible place, and then if you want to put the tag on a second part to that, it is not only is he going to a horrible place because you could say you could say that um, God and after death, God eternal or just. Puts the final nail in the coffin. Poof, you cease to exist. But no, you're in this. He's suggesting no. You're for all eternity. You're living in this horrible, horrible place. Uh, prison, right? Yes. Ironically, we build prisons and put people in it, right? Right. But when we we talk about those being patterns of something cosmic, like a, a cosmic prison, then it's terrible. Right. I, in all fairness, I think some people might say, well, at least you die at some, at least it stops at some point. And the argument I think he's making is, no, this just goes on and sure. on and okay. on and so, on. So, so to clarify, that's really what we're talking about is hell is immoral because it's a really long time. I think it's the second part of it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So my point with that is the language of the Bible says that a, uh, the first co- uh, that God is the uncreated and he creates something. And so when he creates something, he creates everything from nothing. Right. Uh, I think the Latin phrase is ex nihilo, right? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah. I believe, yeah, it's it's something from nothing. So that means before God created, there was nothing. So there was no time, space, or matter. Correct. So now science right now mirrors that language. It says before the Big Bang, there was no space, time, gravity, uh you know that that all those things were created from in a point that was smaller than an atom. Yes, it all it all all of existence came from a single point back in time. Yeah, smaller than an atom, just this this speck, right? Yep. Okay. So, and then when our when we watch science fiction, we watch a movie like such as Arrival or Interstellar, it's saying that time is relative. Even Einstein's theory of relativity, even at the popular level, when you watch science fiction movies explains that time is malleable, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So like Interstellar, you know, they go to various have you seen Interstellar? Yes I have. Yeah, go to various planets, right? Different timelines, messes up what it means to be human, right? Right. It so so to move among the stars, it changes the very understanding of what it means to be human because it changes our relationship to time. Uh the movie Arrival, when the uh, aliens show up, they change our categories to how we relate to language and time. Right, right, and so the the point is with hell. How? Why are we taking this language that we can see uh, how we relate to time, and then whether it's the biblical account or whether it's science, 
we know, you know, whether it's say faith and science agree that time is relative. And so we're taking the language that we know has limitations and we're applying it to this place of punishment, right? Right, something eternal. Yeah, Yeah, so so the point that we're making is that we don't know, you know, eternity isn't a whole bunch of time. It's it changes our relationship. So you to think that's time. that's the that's the flaw there is that yeah. the actual word eternity does not necessarily is not built within the construct of time. Yes, yeah. That that the physical universe, the physical existence we have, we see the limit of time. Time breaks down within anytime we step outside of the physical universe. Time would be um, it changes our relationship to it. And it's true because if we really think about this, you know, <clears throat> being a Christian and believing. Obviously, in believing in God, we, we know that God created everything, which means he's including time, which means he's outside of time. Well, yeah, and but science hard. uses the exact same language. Science is agreeing with faith. Right, right, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that that's, it's one of those things that's really hard to wrap our minds around yeah. a little bit. I think that's kind of what you're saying a little yeah. bit, uh, partly with this. Yeah, that, 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 that charge, that no one's really making the charge that hell is just a whole bunch of time. I mean, some... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> um... Christopher Hitchens is to try to make it look ridiculous, but but no one is when neither, neither science or faith is saying eternity is a whole bunch of time. It's saying that our relationship to time has changed. Right. So like if someone says like even after being in a billion years in heaven, you're kind of like, well, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, can, now can we fully explain that? No. No. No, but, but we can see. We can clearly. I mean, we can absolutely. We can see the limits. It's tough. It's yeah. hard to talk about this, it but we, we can see the limits of time just even from our vantage point here. And at ten forty-five at night, it's even harder to talk about <laughs> it. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's 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 something really interesting to think about. It's a little complex again, especially this late at night. But everyone believes, though, that that you know, it's it's almost unlivable to think there's not moral accountability. That, that there's not, um, I think you have a bigger problem if you say there's no cosmic, so if there's no absolute values and there's no cosmic justice, and there's no justice that transcends life or death, that people can do terrible crimes and get away with it, right? Just by dying. Right. Or, or, or never getting caught. I mean, really, uh, when Christians talk about justice and values, they're, they're saying no one gets away with anything. Right. I mean, it's, it's actually much uh, more complete vision of morality than uh than the other view which is that that all we're are is just an accident and there really is no such thing as right and wrong right Uh, it's a much more fulfilling at every level everything in us cries out for justice right which actually i'm gonna kind of actually bring up something with you here in just a little bit but uh kind of related to what you said but uh, i thought i'd offer a little response here too about this um what i think is really interesting uh, about this this claim that you know how can how can a loving God send someone to hell? Because that is actually what He said in there. And we've we've heard this many times. This is one of the most common questions I think when any kind of apologist goes into any kind of a question and answer Q and A forum. That question is almost always going to get brought up. It's probably one of the single most asked questions. How can a loving God send someone to hell? And I think both me and you and I both would have a lot of responses. We have several responses to that, which we're not going to get to get to all those today. But uh, we'll kind of offer sort of one. So one sort of response to that, or a, qu- a quick one. Um, it, it's really interesting that someone who will reject God, that, and by reject, I mean like God says this is, like kind of, God sort of lays down the terms. This is, this is what it takes. This is, you need to 
um, submit your will to me, uh, die every day to yourself, all, all, all these things. Obviously, obviously not literally, but he, he lays all these claims to follow him, to, 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 to accept Jesus, to follow Jesus and all that. And it's, it's really interesting that a lot of people reject that. They don't, they don't like that. It's, it's really tough for them because they kind of have their own will of what they want to do. And that kind of rubs, rubs against what, what they want to do. It's, it conflicts. It creates a little problem. And so it's kind of interesting. And I've heard people phrase it this way. Like that's kind of, that's kind of a, a good way to put it, I think, is the whole idea is if, if you reject, continually reject God's ways on earth for the duration of your whole life, and you really don't want to fully submit to him, and you really don't want anything to do with him, why would you want him after death? Why would you want to be in a place where you're in this eternal communion with him? When the relationship that we once had that's been fractured is actually redeemed and restored. You know, if, if you didn't want him on earth, why would you want him in heaven? And I think that's kind of one way to look at hell. And I, th- I kind of think that's kind of what hell is. Um, obviously, the Bible re- has some specific references to it. But if we want to go a little deeper with it, possibly. You know, maybe that's not the right word, deeper. But think of it in other, in other terms. <laughs> no. Uh, that sounded really bad to say that. That's not what I meant. But I think of these in other terms. You know, if God claims to, to be love, God is love. God doesn't possess love. He is love. Love is defined through him. He, he is, he's peace. And, and Shania, yeah, you mean, jump in here too on this. You know, that's, those are the things of God. And wouldn't hell be the absence of those things? Wouldn't like if you're if you're not with God and you're separated from that's what hell is a separation from God. So 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 you could say in other words the absence of God is the very definition of hell. I think that's a good way to put it. I think it's a good way to put it. And so all these wonderful things that God is, uh, namely love, which I've, we didn't community talk about. relationship. Yeah, I I kind I kind of find this really interesting. That, you know that God is love. Now love, I, I, we've messed this word up, of course, in our English language. Um, means so many different things, but to the point now where it means nothing, it seems like. But uh, what I find really interesting is, man, you can't find a movie today that doesn't have a love story in it. And I think it's because all of us relate to that in some way. And we love seeing this story of um, somebody with, with, with passionate love. Often, well, I wouldn't say often, but a lot of times, there's sacrifice involved in this love. Um, and not necessarily even romantic love. I mean, sometimes it's exactly, actually, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. It could yeah. be uh, platonic or any, or something else like that. And uh, I, ju- I just find that really interesting. That that's something that seems to be put inside of us. It's something that we are attracted to. Right? Nobody wants, nobody likes to be around people that that are that do not possess love, that are hateful. And I mean, my goodness, in today's it'd be a climate, terrible movie. That'd be a terrible movie. That, it really would. It really would. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me though if it gets made. I mean, nowadays, my goodness. But. Uh, but it's really interesting how attracted people are to these stories of love. And God says, I am love. Like, that, that comes from me. That, this attraction that you have. And so, I, I find that really interesting. And so, that's just kind of how... Um, what are the greatest evidences of God, I'm, I would believe, would be that. I mean, yeah. the, the very way we're made in our foundation, uh, in our urges... Um, and the things that we really, when the rubber meets the road, what we really value and what mm-hmm. we really look to. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so I would say that's, that's kind of the, that the question I would propose to someone that has a problem with hell. I would say, well, you know, if you, if you don't, you don't you clearly don't want God here. Like, why is it why is it suddenly a problem after you die? Why do you want them? Now, what I think the response might be, and Shane, this is where I'm going to have you jump in here, is I think the response probably would be, well, I don't really want to go to heaven. And some, and some would say, and I've heard some atheists say, um, they will take the claims of God. And they will even, maybe, I'm not saying they acknowledge it exists, but they'll even say, even if he does exist, if these are the claims, I want nothing to do with it. I, I, don't, I don't even want to be a part of this. I want nothing to do with that. Now, they, I'm, I can't imagine they would say, please, yeah, please bring on all the things that are awful and horrible. I, I want to endure those. I know that nobody's going to say that. So what, what I'm getting at is, I think some, some of the, 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 the atheists that would say, um, how can a loving God send someone to hell? Uh, that just doesn't seem right. They would say, well, I think there should be another alternative. I shouldn't. I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to. I, I don't believe in God. Whatever. Whatever the reason might be. But I also don't think I should have to go to hell either. I think there should be a plan C, a place where I should go where uh, I don't have to go to either one of those places. Now, I, I think that would be the response. What, what do you think, Shane? Is that, is that, am I off base here? No, no. I, I think that's exactly what uh, people want their own way. And it goes to kind of uh, what you're saying, What our, you know, whether it's our value or throughout history, uh, as you often uh, say, Josh, that humanity places a very high value on personal autonomy, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and, and that's what people, I mean, do we see echoes of, do we see, I mean, what do you think? Do we, do we see echoes of this uh, uh, throughout history? I mean, wh- what is your uh, take? Yeah. I mean, I, I think all, I mean, it's, it's just to me, I think it's just a, a quality of humanity, really. It's not, I mean, just humans have always been this way. I think uh, I I don't think you have to look too far back in history at all to look back and say you know and and see them people people want things their way you know Burger King man they want to make it they want it their way so, so you would say selfishness is a defining uh, human trait yes I but I don't, the people I don't think will see it that way I think they. I don't think they would admit to saying I'm selfish. I think yeah, they, they, I, it, it is selfish, <laughs> yes. But I don't think people admit that. I don't think yeah. they see it that way. Yeah. I think they see it as I, I should be able to call the shots. I think I have so, something in me, something in me says this is unjust. Something is something in me. I just feel this is wrong, or for for whatever reason, there doesn't have to be sufficient reasoning for it. It's just I feel this way. Uh, or, or if we would be, some can be really honest and say, well, I just would rather do this. This brings me more pleasure in some way. Um, I enjoy this more. This is more convenient or comfortable for me. I'd rather just go this route. So this this is kind of um, this is kind of answered by. I mean, if we look at the great Judeo Christian narrative, I mean, isn't this what we would believe? What is uh, uh, what people describe as the original sin, or if you will, or of yeah? So it goes back to the garden. So it all goes back to playing God. And that's what I, that's what my question. What I would say is, whenever I, I think when people want that Plan C, they want that no, 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 no. These these aren't the two options. There needs to be a third one. My question is, is who's God in this scenario? Who really is? Who's playing God? And we go back, like you said, we go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were. They were essentially playing God. They were redefining good and evil. And I think that's the foundation of every sense of, I know people don't like to use the word sin, but I'm going to use it. Uh, you, you want to use the word wrongdoing or whatever you want to use there. But I think this is the foundation reasoning is we want to define what's good and evil. And again, 
not to get on a, I'm not going to get on a whole tangent again, but like, where does that come from? Where, where do you get this measure of what is right and what is wrong? And I, I think if we've sufficiently pointed this out, you know, to, uh, where I sit here with awaiting your response. What, what is, what is that objective reference that you're pointing to? And I think that's where we'll leave it <laughs> with this episode. So, well, Shane, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> We're still awake. It's time to go to bed, I think. So, uh, thanks everybody for listening and catching our, this is, uh, catch another episode here. This is episode three. Remember, you can always contact us with comments and any objections you may have. You can reach us on Twitter at Lenses Switching. And Shane, it's going to do it for us tonight. Okay. Sounds good, good, Josh. Good night. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.